What's happening? It's Yannick Guzdala. It's the Yannick Guzdala podcast. Really fun one today, moving slightly away from music. But as you'll come to find out, I hope throughout the course of this hour or more episode, it really actually has a lot to do with music, even if not directly in the beginning. If you are following on the Substack blog, you will perhaps have seen my post yesterday, uh, New Year's Day, January 1st, 2023, bringing in the new year with some health and fitness ideas for musicians. Um, things kind of, the, the post kind of chronicled my story, my journey from teens and through my twenties and touring and all that kind of stuff, right up to what I'm doing now. And I kind of wrote it over a day and a half. And as I read it back today, I was like, oh man, there's a few things I wish I talked about. I don't really want to go in and edit the post because I think there's some great information there. There are just maybe some gaps that could be filled in. So why not? Start out your week. This is going out Monday morning. If you have a commute or some time on the way somewhere or you're traveling or you just have time to sit and listen for an hour, why not start out the week, the new year with um, with some podcast information about health and fitness for musicians, what I do, how I'm changing what I do now as I hit middle age. I'm 44 years old. So we're going to get into all that. We're going to get into um, nutrition, hydration, uh, exercise, workouts, recovery, sleep, uh, fasting, intermittent fasting, all, all those kind of protocols, what I'm doing now, what I have been doing for a while, what worked to get me out of my mid-30s kind of dad bod slump and how that actually needs to change as I look forward 20, 30 or even 40 years from now and what I need to do for myself in order to live the longest, uh, healthiest, you know, and happiest productive life and be able to spend time in an ambulatory state with my family as long as I possibly can. I'm a, I'm a dad, getting to dadhood, getting to fatherhood a little later than most. And I would, I would love to be able to, you know, walk my daughter down the aisle or do any of those things that you kind of think, think maybe a 25, 30 years out from now and be healthy and kind of conscious doing it. And, to, to kick things off, we're going to get to all of that. I, this is one of those episodes I'm actually going to put a bunch of production into. So there are, will be timestamps below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're just listening on a podcast platform, head over to YouTube because I'm, this is going to be one of the few podcasts where I actually go in and put a bunch of information. The show notes are going to read like uh, a case study. <laughs> and I, I want to give you as much information in one place as possible. So uh yeah something i'm really uh excited to be able to do is to call my f good friend jeff rothschild uh leading sports nutritionist he actually lives in new zealand so i'm actually going to get him on the phone right now um he's in new zealand he is someone i mentioned a bunch in the in the post yesterday in the substack post in my blog uh because i have to credit him in a big way for helping me with my nutrition plan and get going to him to his offices when he used to live in Los Angeles to do my VO2 max test and really see some hard data uh, for what it was I'm doing. Anyway, I'm going to get him on the phone. I'm going to FaceTime him. I hope I'm going to be able to put that video in the podcast as well and that everything will be hunky-dory. Here we go. Never done this on a podcast before. Let's see. Let's see if I can even get some audio happening here. I hope he picks up the phone. Come on, Jeff. It's the middle of the morning, I believe. Hey! That's it. Jeff Rothschild, what's happening, man? <laughs> much, how are you? Good to see you, buddy. Um, well, I'm here in front of the mic, in front of the camera, talking about health and fitness for musicians. 
uh, telling people how much uh, a large part of my development and um, education you were in mm. terms of learning about what goes in the body, what the body does with it, and how you output that in energy and you know protocols to kind of stay on the straight and narrow, which as a musician yourself for many years, you understand is not the easiest thing to do. Um, for me, I'm more of a tour musician. You were in the studio. So we, there's so many things I want to talk about because people listening, I think, cross both of those paths, you know, studio musicians and, and tour musicians. First of all, what was one of the things that made you say as you sat in a dark room in front of a mixing console, okay, enough is enough? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that one of the hardest things, you know, is, is the lack of control of your schedule. Mm -hmm. Well, so you, you, you know, in the studio world, let's just say you're in the studio from noon, noon to midnight, which is pretty mild by some people's terms. But um, nevertheless, you know, that that's kind of locked in. And so you do have control in the morning. And so I used to, you know, go, go, to go for bike rides in the morning or do whatever. So you do have your mornings. Um, but then the rest of the day, you know, you're stuck eating takeaways and um, staying up late and, you know. Um, like the so, dreaded studio menu book that comes out as right. you have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so, so that was that was ended up being a no no for you. Well, yeah, I mean that wasn't like the the, the deal breaker itself, but um, it definitely was the, the biggest difference from when I was doing that to when I wasn't doing that. It was like I, I used to basically be going to sleep earlier than I, you know, I, I had a moment where I realized like I go to sleep earlier now than I used to. I was still be working, you know, right, like right. 11 o'clock at night and, and still then be eating or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's just this huge change, huge change. And one of the first things we talked about, actually, was uh, a protocol for sleep on the road. I remember you putting together mm -hmm. a spreadsheet for me about how to combat jet lag and how to actually sleep and deal with that, the inevitability of being up at 3 o'clock in the morning and trying to mitigate those circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even harder. So the road part is changing time zones adds a whole nother level of that, not to mention playing shows at night. And, um, yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's, it's tough to, to stay healthy. But uh, I think, like I said, adjusting the time zones a little bit quicker can be helpful. Um, and, and I guess just briefly for, for those curious, like the, the main things that set our body clocks, right? everyone knows we have a body clock. Right. Um, whether you've thought about it or not, we, you know, when we change the time zones or, you know, uh, daylight savings time or, or when you go fly across country, you feel jet lagged. That's because our body is used to running on an approximately 24 hour clock. And it's important that it's approximately 24 hours because it, it resets each day. You know, think of it like an orchestra conductor. Um, that the main things are, are the light exposure and then also from our, our food intake and a couple other things like our body temperature. But the main, the biggest one is a light and then, and then followed by when we eat. So if we can, um, be a little bit more deliberate about when we eat and when we expose ourselves to light on a, a long haul flight, for example, that can kind of help the body get aligned to the new time zone a little bit quicker. And so we kind of do the best we can. Um, like in your case, what we did, we, we tried to, to use those um, principles and then, you know, with some ap uh, appropriate light exposure and, and appropriate time to block the light and, and when to eat, when to eat and when to, to you know, pause sure. eating on the plane, for example, um, and, and to kind of get your body into the new time zones, you know, a little bit quicker. And I, I think you can generally cut jet lag you know, down to in about half, you know, on those long haul flights. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I, I still have that spreadsheet. I think I'm going to put it in the show notes just for nostalgia's <laughs> sake. Um, this is where we're talking about late 2015. So it's not something that's actually current. And it was for a very specific set of travel parameters. You know, it was coming yeah, yeah. from Asia, coming through LA and then going to Europe. And it was coming from a music tour and going to the O2 Arena for the London, for the world, the, you know, w, um, the ATP tour tennis, finals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for tennis. So it was really a lot of changes. I'll put that.
that in the show notes for for nostalgia's sake. Um, and I will say that after that, it just it jolted something in my brain that I I just. I couldn't not be aware of it every time I traveled from that point on. Yeah. So it was, it, it, we only did it once together, but it really was, it really laid the foundation for me being aware of all those things I could do to help mitigate nice. those things. Um, we're now since both parents, uh, you a little bit deeper into yeah. it than me, but that's been, uh, and that's something, the reason I'm changing my protocols right now to start the new year and to have a whole different fitness goal and, and health outlook has been because sleep has been decimated so much at home yeah. in the first 15 months of my daughter being alive. What would you say to that? Is that something you just have to power through because there is no yeah. way to mitigate it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, um, some, some parents are lucky and the kids like sleep from three months old on whereas they're sleeping <laughs> these, like 10 or 12 hours in a row at night. Oh. And you know, we, we hate those people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I still, yeah, I still haven't had a, full night's sleep but like it's just it's crazy and, and um so my, yeah my, my approach I, i've kind of you know it, it's a stressor on your body right and you're not getting the full recovery and so things like waking up at 6 30 in the morning to do a interval workout it's maybe not the best thing <laughs> yeah. um you know and and I, I still will wake up early to exercise but it's it, maybe if i've had a terrible night's sleep especially it's um you know low intensity or something you so, know, you so you have to readjust your goals adjust. right that's right yeah yeah and be, I, I, and be yeah. realistic. You have to, I think, deal with the new reality. And my yep. new reality was going from like a nice trim 173, uh, hitting my max again of 195 in terms of pounds within <clears throat> the first seven months of her being alive just because of garbage eating, which is on me. I could have chosen to eat healthier. But at some point, you're just so exhausted, you'll eat whatever's there. Well, that's right. Yeah, your, your decision-making process when you're tired goes, goes down the hill. That's one of the reasons sleep is so important, aside from obviously so many reasons sleep is important but but in general day-to-day life for people that aren't necessarily new parents um yeah when you're when you're not sleeping as well you just you make poor decisions you don't have that decision control right now um i am making a huge change right now i've been digging back through like i went all the way back to our vo2 max test test data and and just sat here crying at how (laughs) off the charts it was and how nowhere near i am now or maybe never will be again i'd completely forgotten the numbers and I, i was just very upset that at one point I had that ability and so I'm again I'm readjusting my goals and I'm looking forward 20, 30, 40 years I'm thinking about my 70s and my 80s very realistically about bone density about just being ambulatory and being able to spend conscious quality time with my family into my 80s especially coming to fatherhood a little later than most Um, now in that you know me and I'm a little bit psychotic so I can make a change and I can just make a left turn and never look right again. You know, I, so I, I hate to use myself as the case study because I'm c- kind of a little bit crazy like that. But when making a large change, what are some of the, the markers you look for in terms of not doing something that's unrealistic that you won't follow through on or making a, such a huge change like cutting out sugar or something that you will then potentially crave it so much that cutting out something 100% becomes detrimental to the process? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know yourself if you're the one making the change, or if, if you're a practitioner, like so, you know, then you, you got to understand what type of person you know these different personality types. Um, and just I guess this kind of reminds me of a um, there's a great book called by uh, Gretchen Rubin called The Four Tendencies. Okay, and it basically it's um, there's this you know these four 
I don't want to say personality types, but there's these tendencies of, of how you how you respond to um, internal and external motivation. And so some people, um, when they, for example, if they understand the re- the rationale, the reasoning behind something, then they can really stick to a decision. Um, some people will will kind of follow the rules, and and um, I don't want to go too far, far off on that tangent, but it's it's pretty interesting. So it's it's kind of understanding how people respond to this motivation. And so if I were working with someone. Some people, you know, you, you, you take these little increment incremental steps or some people can kind of understand the thing and make these big changes. Like like you can just kind of, you're just going to, if you decide, you, you'll do it. So in, in your case, um, it's it's easier to, to do a big change right now and, and see, um, you know, throw everything at the wall and, and get some big results right away. Whereas some people, they just need to, to do these little little steps. But but you're saying, how, how do you know if, if you're making the right choices or how do you kind of right. monitor your, your new regimen? Yeah. What you're asking, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Well, I, I would think about the, like why? Why did you, let's say your example? What 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 made you want to change these things? Let's say is it body weight? Is it your day, your energy levels? Let's just start with them too. If it's your if your body weight is moving in the right direction, well, that's that's probably a good sign. Um, not too fast, and not too slow, right. for, for, and and that's you know again that's on a, in, in a context dependent. Um, and and are you feeling better? And I think if you're feeling good and things are moving the right way, then okay, those are good changes. Let's say your body weight is dropping really fast, but you feel really crappy. Maybe you're just eating, you know, way too little. For example, then that would be a, you know, you could, which is one of the things you helped me with. Actually, that was one of the early things you helped me with. Mm-hmm. Was the the ridiculous volume of training I was doing three times a day, six yeah, days a week, and my little, calo- yeah. caloric intake was pitifully low. And you had me up mm-hmm. over three and a half, sometimes four thousand calories, depending on what I was doing. And I was like, wow, I yeah. really need to eat that much. And you're like, yep, you're burning it. You know, input output. Um, I, I will say that when I went from 195 to when I looked at our VO2 max test in August of 2015, my, I weighed in at 159.9. So I lost 35 pounds over the course of about 18 months. I didn't do it to lose weight. I did it because I was crazy about tennis. Yeah. And the losing weight was a byproduct. And it was just a necessity because you can't move around a tennis court if you're carrying an extra 35 pounds. And similarly now, when you ask about those two things, is it about weight loss? Is it about energy levels? It's it's more about energy levels than it is weight loss. Although now, knowing what I know, I know that any, uh, that weight loss is going to be a, a happy byproduct of the process. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, for some people that might, um, like you said, if you cut out sugar too drastically, then kind of re- binge on it or something. Um, that's, again, knowing yourself. So, some people, um, like, can have one bite of ice cream or two bites of ice cream, and, and that's good. And that, that keeps, you know... You know that that allows the diet to kind of work, and some people, if they have two bites, they have the whole thing. And and I think most people, you know, by I don't know, at some at some point in their life, by, when you're an adult, you should kind of at least know yourself to know: Are you better with having a little bite once a day, and, and you're good, or or is it easier just to, to cut it out altogether? And right. so, um, I definitely yeah. am the cut it out altogether guy because one bite turns into four gallons of ice cream. Like if it's in yeah. the house, I'll demolish it and I will binge on it. I would love to know if I would binge on it as a result of having cut it out so drastically, but I'm not sure that that's the catalyst. I think I'm just have a massive sweet tooth period. Yeah. And some people, when they cut out all that stuff, then they, they might, it might be, um, in combination with under eating, like you said, or maybe mm-hmm. not eating enough protein or just kind of there's something else that, you know, um, they're missing. So it's kind of compounding that, those kind of, let's say cravings. Right. And where are you at with, uh, I know we've talked about intermittent fasting before, um, I'm in like a, maybe a 16, eight window right now. That's at least my plan for the first, like the initial phase of this big change. And I, I, I understand that the change has to happen over time. I can't just go from being shitty and out of shape and pudgy to like prime athlete status again, you know, in a month. I know I have to stagger it. How, how long of a window, let's say 
if you're not doing 16 8, what, what, what were you eating in a window? Like uh, a 16 hour eating window, or, for as example? In, or, or, as long as I was awake, anything goes, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm not a fan of 16 8 per se. Okay. Um, well, one, there's nothing magical about 16 8. It's it just nice, the two to one ratio. This is like nothing, like 15 9 or 14 10, you know, th- those are, right. it's about the same. Um, the, the nuance, the important nuance is, um, well, it, it can help people eat less, obviously. So if someone's eating like you were eating, let's just say, in, across from from seven a.m. to to midnight, for yeah. example, is that is that a reasonable like what? Sure. To use an example, let's yeah. say you were eating. So seven a.m. to midnight is a um, what? Uh, <laughs> seven, seventeen uh, hour. <laughs> seven, yeah, seventeen hour eating window. Or nineteen, whatever it is. Yeah, go on. 17, 17 right? So, um, yeah, five and anyway. Oh. oh yeah, seventeen hour eating window. That's too much, right? Yeah. You want to give your body. You need to give your body some time. So even cutting down to a twelve hour window, so seven a.m. Okay. to seven p.m. would do a, a lot of good. You'd, you'd automatically cut out probably three or four hundred calories. Yeah, and 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 your body. You know, I, I think twelve hours is a kind of a good rule of thumb. Um, but I, more importantly, I, um, I think kind of that it's not eating late is more important than skipping breakfast. Sure. So if you wanted to do even eight or nine hours. I think it's much better to do 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or sure. maybe 10 to 6, somewhere there, as opposed to new, uh, midnight to, you know, or excuse me, noon to 8 p.m. or, or you know. Right, and this for me is kind something. of reliant on when the baby wakes up and how much time I have in the, in the front part of the day to exercise or when I can get my workout in and how yeah. I can recover from that with a decent meal afterwards. I'm kind of aiming for fasting a little bit in the morning, late morning workout, and then, and then that solid lunch, protein salad kind of thing. And then I've been toying with the idea of doing this like heavier carb dinner to reload the glycogen to be ready for the next morning to be stacked for a for a workout. Where where would you be at with that? Uh, I wouldn't do that. I would just eat the carbs after the workout. After Still going to reload the glycogen, oh, okay. but it's it's going to be disposed of much much better. What, what I mean by that is um, when we eat, let's just say your, your, your bowl of rice as your carb, whatever uh-huh. yep. your blood sugar is going to come up, and it's that's normal. Of course, your blood sugar is going to come up, but the same that same bowl of rice. It, let's say you, you work out at 10 or 11 a.m. Then you have lunch after that. Mm-hmm. If you had that lunch, that rice at lunch, or if you had um, just the salad and, and protein or whatever, and then had that same bowl of rice at mm-hmm. call it 7 p.m., your blood sugar response from that same bowl of rice is going to be much higher okay. at 7 p.m. than it would be at noon. Gotcha. And, and blood sugar control is important. Um, it's not to say that your blood sugar will never come up, but it's much better to get those carbs in where your muscles are kind of hungry for those carbs. Sure. You've just worked out. Your muscles will say, give me them, and let's just suck them all out of the muscles. Right. Um, so the spike will be and, less when I take them after the workout as opposed to yeah. eating them and then basically doing nothing. Exactly. And then also, even if you didn't exercise on that day, eating at noon instead of, call it 7 p.m., those same carbs, your blood sugar would still be lower. Right. Your, your insulin sensitivity, the blood sugar control is much better earlier in the day. And this is one of the big reasons why I think the earlier window is, is better. Also, it kind of because of how it interacts with your body clock. But basically, in your case, I wouldn't save those carbs for nighttime. There's no, there's no reason you can't just put the glycogen back in at lunchtime. And if you're not exercising the rest of the day anyway, they're still going to be in your, it's all still going to be in your muscles ready for the next workout. Right. It's not like you're going to spend it through the day if you're just doing your normal stuff sure. around the house anyway. Sure. And I know that's another thing I have to adjust because I'm not putting tennis back into the regime immediately just because I won't be healthy healthy enough and fit enough to avoid injury uh, when I want to go play the way I want to play. So I know that I'll have to readjust the whole thing once I add tennis in because I'll be back at kind of two yeah. days, six days a week. Exactly. You know, 
So the, the yeah. whole eight-hour window thing was just to sort of reset the clock almost. And like, like you said, get in that 10 to 6 window of eating and get out of the bad habits of, like, craving that bowl of, like, granola or whatever the hell I was eating at 7 a.m. when the baby gets up, you know. <clears throat> you know so awesome. Um, I'm still cr- uh, crushing the supplements. I'm still on the thorn research stuff, which you set me down the path of. Um, I'm not doing the beta alanine right now although yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. that might come back once the training gets a bit heavier um, sure. but creatine uh, simple uh, daily vitamin and this super EPA like fish oil seems to have been yeah. been good yeah, and like then the, the caffeine yeah. L-theanine yeah love that one to get rolling um, amazing anything else you want to throw at me like do this don't do that like as you understand kind of basically what i'm about to do yeah. like a lifestyle no, I think, change I, I think i think you're fine i think just clean it up it sounds like there's a lot you can clean up there's a lot of low-hanging fruit yes and so i wouldn't um you know no one's overeat well i guess it's possible to overeat at breakfast but most of the time like eating at 8 a.m or whatever like i most of the time it's not that big of a deal it's the 8 p.m 9 p.m 10 p.m sure. that's the meals that get you in trouble so even if you wanted to eat from 8 a.m to you know, 7 p.m. or whenever, uh-huh. like, that would be fine. Because um, I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not sure skipping, I mean, if it's 9 or 10 a.m. that you're going to have that breakfast, it's okay. I, I really don't think, though, like, skipping breakfast altogether and then going to lunch, like, there's just too long of a gap without any protein. Sure. And you you're, you could, you'll lose weight, but you're, you're probably could lean, lose a little bit more lean mass yeah. than than fat mass um and so just be mindful of that but um, yeah i don't want to yeah. lose lean mass particularly yeah, yeah. Wanna, so so again some proteins i mean even if yeah. you had some eggs in the morning even if you ate at 7 a.m if you wanted to you know a few eggs or whatever um and then you know carry on a day and then and then finish eating just don't eat after dinner just yeah. go with that one and I, I guess that's one of the things everyone listening who's a musician faces is that the gig probably doesn't um, start until nine sometimes you know and you're coming okay, off yeah, stage so at midnight to and to other musicians outside of the house uh, I, I, there was a um, a guy who worked with a uh, touring musician and and they uh, he had the same issue was losing weight so what we had him do is eat a big meal before a show he, it was kind of in a, a big touring band uh-huh. and um uh, eating, you know, basically either eat at kind of mid-show if there was a little break, uh-huh. or before the show as a main dinner, and then really kind of something small, if anything, afterwards. Okay, and that that really worked. And that for small him. thing to be um, protein or carbs or just a, a full snack. dinner. Yeah, I mean, a, a mixed, uh, appropriate mixed dinner. And yeah. I mean, if if you if you, if you imagine, a, you know, a show that starts at eight p.m. or you know, so someone playing a larger venue, so it's earlier than sometimes club shows can even go late, late. Sure. But regardless, eat beforehand. Yeah, you don't need to eat before, afterwards. I mean, I know that's a lot of time it's the hang and it's like, you know, Yeah, but that's it, not that's not nutrition specific. That's like a mental approach, right? That's a social and mental approach to how you're going to live your life. Like, are you going to choose yeah. to go hang? Like that blog post yesterday, I posted that photograph 2010 of me at my like max weight of like 195 <laughs> yeah. and I'm at the VIP club in Paris until four in the morning drinking champagne and eating crap, you know? Yeah. That was a choice, a very poor one. <laughs> As fun as it was, <laughs> yeah, it gave me some stories to you know, and and um, yeah, it's it's hard. You mix, you got to mix mix the, uh, the getting the stories and the life experience with yeah. with you know those kind of choices. And it doesn't mean you should you know ignore all social things, but um, yeah, I think generally eating your main dinner earlier and then 
eating less later is, is a good thing. And that uh, repetition of, of just committing to do that, I imagine, is the thing that gets you into that routine, which and your body adjusts to that, right? It, it then expects to have that dinner at seven and then not to eat after the show. Your body, yeah, it does get used to that. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's committing. It's kind of figuring out who, who you are. It just reminded me of a story, but I, I'll name drop a little bit. It was, um, I was hanging out. Uh, was it the uh, – anyway – I could have gone to, to um, Mel's Diner at like 3 a.m. with Steven Tyler and, and some other people. Yeah. And I actually didn't because I, like, I have a bike ride. I, I have like someone is, I'm meeting someone for a bike ride at like 7 a.m. Like uh-huh. I cannot go to Mel's Diner at 3 a.m. It's, it's, you know, it would have given a good story. But um, it's just like I decided if you decide I, I'm you know going on a 60 or 70 or whatever mile I what was doing bike ride at 7 in the morning. Like yeah. I just can't do you that, can't do and, it, you yeah. know. So it's I guess it's just picking your um, priorities and, and you know. Maybe committing uh, to morning activities will help keep you in bed well, earlier. That's I not, do. Yeah, not a bad idea. I've got a morning activity every day. It's called 6.30, getting my daughter out of bed. So That's right. I'm in it for that. Um, dude, you're the man. Thanks for your time. I won't keep you any longer. And yeah, I know you've job, got man. two kids running around back there. <laughs> and I'll link everything of Jeff's eSleep Fit and everything Jeff does below in the show notes, below the YouTube video. Um, you can go and check out all of Jeff's stuff and courses and blog and video. He's a ton of videos on YouTube and Instagram. Go check all that stuff out um thanks man yeah all right take care take it easy man i'll see you bye all right awesome so there you go you heard from a licensed professional like i said at the top of my substack post um everything i say um in in that post yesterday and in this podcast today is all anecdotal it's uh, I'm not a licensed professional. I have had the the great fortune to work with people like Jeff, to work with people like Rory Cordial, who I mentioned yesterday, uh, a guru of of training and of physical recovery. And oh, and we gotta we gotta mute everything now. I had the the microphone close to the phone to pick all that up. Um, and yeah, I've had the, the really good fortune to work with all these people. Clay Snipeman, the head trainer of the ATP, the the men's professional tennis tour. Um, and with, with Rory's brother, Clint, who's, uh, John Isner's, you know, top 10 American U.S. tennis player, uh, his, uh, fitness trainer on the road, fitness coach. So I've had the, the great fortune to be around all these people and just ears and eyes open and mouth shut, you know, for the most part, unless I'm asking good questions. And it's, it, it gave me a really good run of experience. Um, like I mentioned in the blog post yesterday, it gave me the realization when I was hanging out with my buddy Louie that I wasn't as fit and as in shape as I thought I was despite plodding along on the treadmill a few times a week and thinking I was in the best shape of my life. No, absolutely not. Not even close. And going out on that tennis court and almost puking that day with Louis really sort of kicked my ass and sent me down a path. I didn't really, it wasn't a conscious effort. I wasn't trying to lose weight. I wasn't trying to be an athlete. I wasn't trying to get fit. I was just like, oh, I really like this, this tennis thing and I want to be better at it. So uh, in, in order to get better at it and in order to, you know, be able to accomplish all the tasks that my coach, Christian, uh, who the guy who ended up becoming my coach shortly after I started playing tennis, to accomplish all of those things that he was setting forth, all the drills and the exercise and the training, I had to, I had to shed some weight. And by doing all of that work on the tennis court, that, that was kind of my way into that. And it was a really, um, really useful byproduct and a very healthy one. And it showed me you sort of the top end of my athletic ability for a while. Like I said, I, quit playing bass for about a year and went on the on the road with the Brian brothers on the ATP tour as their kind of fitness coach and, and, and hitting partner. And that was 
as you could imagine, pretty intense, and I needed to maintain that in a big way, uh, maintain my fitness level, and of course work with them and train with them every day. And when you're around elite athletes, that does nothing but good things, I think, for your motivation and for uh, just for the constant education I was getting, like every day learning something new and not just being around the guys I was traveling with, but being around the entire tour. It's like a traveling circus of hundreds of people that move from tournament to tournament, city to city. And there we are all in the same locker room, all in the same gym, all in the same training room, hanging out with all the masseuses and, and physios. And as I say, Clay Snipeman from, from the, the head trainer of the ATP tour, learned a lot from him, ended up going to his place actually in Utah, to his uh, university gym and doing some training. If I can find those pictures, I'll pop them up on the screen right now. Uh, I look back, like I said to Jeff, I look back on things like that and cry, remembering how ridiculously in shape I was and sort of able to do anything and just very, had it all dialed in. So that's kind of where I find myself now and where I want to get back to. I know I'm not unrealistic about it. I know I'm not about to be that elite level Um and have that elite level of athleticism like I did seven, six, seven years ago. Um, and it, I was able to maintain it also, but I also wasn't a dad and I wasn't getting up uh, during the night or super early in the morning or I, I didn't have a very uh, unbalanced schedule, let's say. Once I started going back on the road again after the tennis tour, once I started going back on the road for music again after the tennis tour, things did sort of get a little bit upside down and I had to find ways to adjust, I had to take all these you know, bottles and all this crap on the road with me, all the supplements and hydration and make sure I had a water bottle with me. I was trying to go out to, you know, anywhere I was on the road to supermarkets. Sorry, I got to rehydrate here. To supermarkets and greengrocers and whatever, just get fresh whole food to consume whilst on the road. <coughs> Raw ginger, uh, lemons, all that kind of stuff. You know, natural honey. Making myself ginger lemon honey in the in the in the hotel boiling water and really just sticking on top of the nutrition and the the whole thing that Jeff and I just talked about in that call about the jet lag you know that was especially helpful when it was international touring and when it was changing time zones in a big way um, really being aware of light exposure to light and then cutting out blue light at certain times of the of the uh, evening to really shut it down you know screen time with the laptop or the iPad or the phone um, wearing blue blocker glasses uh, yeah I really hope I can find that um, that spreadsheet Jeff made and put it in the show notes for this episode because it was uh, it's kind of a master class in how to adjust your body and I remember that trip very well <clears throat> November of 20. 15 um because it was i mean it was an insane trip i went to like i flew from la out to like hong kong where i go like hong kong china i went to seoul um i went to taiwan went to a bunch of places in asia southeast asia maybe singapore or malaysia so a bunch of places for like a week so kind of got out there west from me uh to asia and got on that time zone just about and then flew back to la for like half a day i want to say i landed in the morning and took a flight to europe that night i don't think i stayed the night uh if i did maybe it was just one night but it was a very fast turnaround i spent definitely less than 24 hours in la um and then flew to london and kind of changed things up completely and was with the brian brothers at the world tour finals um for a week kind of working on the plan because then i was going to 
spend time with them on the off season, uh, second half of November all through December. Uh, Mike had some shoulder issues, so we went to hang with Clay Snipeman in Utah and work on that. We did a whole bunch of training. I was in Florida training with them for the off season, and then we were already leaving on the tour on the ATP tour the first week of uh, third, fourth, or something of January to get down to Australia for for that swing to play Sydney to play Melbourne. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, a really intense couple of months of travel and that jet lag plan really helped in a big way and really simple things. It's not like you had to buy a bunch of machinery and carry all this crap around you. It was like compression socks and blue blocker glasses and some green tea extract. I remember it. There's, there's a bunch of stuff on there. Um, maybe it's a little melatonin here and there, but it really was like about shifting that, like pre shifting your time zones and trying to do things like change the times of your meals, change the times of your workout, maybe change the times of your sleep and wake up times just by small increments leading up to the trip to get as much on the destination schedule as you possibly could. And then, of course, like Jeff referenced a little bit in our call, uh, all the things you can do on the plane, depending on which direction you're going. When you eat, when you hydrate, uh, when you shut it down and try and go to sleep, all of those things that would that that I've carried with me um, for ever since the last seven years or so, and uh, that has really been useful. Like I basically, I can basically get over jet lag in in no more than a day, uh, kind of no matter where I'm going. It's actually weird that the shorter ones, just going to the East Coast, like the LA to New York thing, that screws me up worse than doing the long haul stuff. Um, I guess, thankfully, I don't know if it's thankfully, but I do more of the long haul stuff now than anything. Um, so I'm really, I have that dialed in and I have Jeff to thank for that. And then, of course, just sticking to the program, uh, adjusting the protocols for where you're going and what your schedule is, of course, but sticking to the program and making good habits. I think that's probably the underlying um, metric uh, or the most consistent metric for success in any of, any of this. Um, and I think it's the same with music, isn't it? When you... If you commit to consistency of practice and purposeful practice away from the instrument, if you have a crazy schedule and you have a, you have a commute and you have all this time where you can't touch your bass or your guitar or your piano or drums or whatever it is you play, making the most of your time and creating good habits in that vein. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And that's definitely something I've always tried to do. And that is something that went out the window in a big way. Now, I, I mentioned, I touched on it a little bit in the Substack post um, yesterday, you know, the the chronology of all of this, you know, that that 20, 2013 of getting kicked in the ass by Louis and being like, oh, wow, you, I'm way out of shape and have no fitness at all to spending, you know, a few months sort of dicking around like, oh, this tennis thing is cool and, you know, going out in a tennis court and being outdoors and getting sunlight, vitamin D for the first time in a really long time as a musician. And then that turning into something really serious, getting a coach and joining a club and starting to train really hard. Um, I forgot to mention Brian Shires uh, was the one of the fitness trainers at my tennis club who I ended up working with and he got me on some great fitness protocols for my tennis. Um, so it was about 18 months of taking that really seriously, which landed me at the end of 2015 team where I could play the game and I was in uh, actually much better shape than a lot of the professional athletes on the tour, um, especially the guys I was working with. I think that was what made it work was I could actually keep up with them um, and actually have in, in a lot of cases better fitness than them to, to, to push them a little bit um, or at least to be able to hang in there when we were hitting and, and doing all those drills. So that's what led up to that. And then of course, I managed to maintain that being on the tennis tour for a year. And then when I came off, I, I really kept that thing rolling. 
Um, I was single for a while. I didn't have a lot of uh, uh, commitments. You know, I was living on my own. Obviously, that was after the divorce and all that stuff. So I was, I, I had the time. Um, and even after me and Chelsea met, and, and I even even you can go see it in the vlog every day. When in 2017, when I was doing the daily vlog, I was still out there every day playing tennis. Sometimes twice a day, I was still maintaining all of that. But as time wore on, as commitments changed and as touring got i think it was for me it was touring that got a little more hectic uh more so than it had been in quite quite a few years that was what started to make the change for me i was able to maintain my fitness and my nutrition protocols um i didn't you know drift back into drinking a lot of alcohol or eating a lot of kind of sugary sweet or processed foods that that wasn't that wasn't what i kind of gravitated towards but I gravitated towards the work and to being out on the road and to working hard and to practicing a lot. And that led to not being able to train as much. So my energy output uh, was a little less. And I think there was probably a time where my, my caloric intake was probably too high for the energy I was putting out. I did get into the Adidas runners, Los Angeles thing. Christian, my, my tennis coach got me into that and I was running as much as I loathe the activity of running. I was doing that a few times a week and I did end up becoming a crew runner with um, Adidas runners. That was really, really useful. Actually, I learned a lot and it kept, it really helped keep my sort of energy output up, my caloric output up and, and kept me in balance um, when I wasn't able to train as much as I had done the previous years. So just, you know, another another uh, healthy pursuit outside of music and tennis, shall we say. And it was something I was doing in the evenings and it got me out of the house and it was a different group of people. It was a different discipline, had to adjust um, my body a little bit to that and fuel accordingly. So that was a nice, it was a nice new pursuit to do for a while, but it did have sort of a detrimental effect on my uh, spinal health. And I had two um, herniated discs early 2019. That was when things really started to change was 2019. Uh, because you know, we, we, me and Chelsea were living together. We were engaged and we were planning the wedding. Chelsea was mostly planning the wedding, but a wedding was being planned, uh, that I was a part of, even though Chelsea did shoulder most of the work, it was something that wasn't happening overnight. And between that, I think I said in a blog post yesterday in in between January and May of 2019, I was in, I toured in the US, in Mexico, in Europe, in Japan, and in Russia. And I think right before, I can't remember which way around it was, Russia, was, and then I came home for a week, and then it was Japan. But in that time of going to Russia and Japan, uh, that was when the herniated discs showed up, and I was, I couldn't walk. I, I that, that really, when I had to, when I was forced to stop exercising and forced to not be able to stand in the kitchen and prepare all my meals, that really killed me. That was definitely the beginning of the end of the peak fitness uh, regime at that point. Even though Rory Cordial, an amazing trainer, I worked with him a couple of times and he got me ambulatory and he got me walking and he got me through, you know, we had a wedding party in LA before we went out for the big one in France and he got me through that. He got me through, uh, I think I saw him in between Russia and Japan. So he really helped, um, you know, get me through some of that touring. But that was January to May. I'd already been on the road all of that time. And then June, we went to New York to make the union. Um, so we were, you know, went to Patatucci's house and rehearsed. And then we were in the studio. And that was like a, a big project to take on. Um, took a lot of brain power. See, I was like 
intensely writing and working on the arrangements and all that stuff leading up to that. So even though it was only a few days of work in New York, it did require a coast-to-coast trip, uh, and it required a lot of moving parts. Ruslan was on the road with uh, Josh Groban at the time. I had to fly him in and out. And then Philip Dizek was moving house, like right the, the day of the session. And Patatucci only had those, literally those two days off that month to, and to, to produce the record. So it was a high stress thing, really fun. I loved it. I, I was, you know, I really happy the way it came out and beautiful to work with all my friends, of course. And Chelsea came with me as well, which was amazing. And, uh, I, I love that the album artwork she did it was a really positive thing in the end it was just quite a high stress um time and a time where i wasn't able to dedicate you know you know enough energy to working out and playing tennis and nutrition hydration and sleep and all that kind of stuff then i turned down a couple of things i was meant to go to brazil i had to turn that down uh july i remember what the hell happened in july july was something oh july went back to europe for another tour so I was back in Europe in July, played North Sea, played in Sweden, played in Germany, then came home and then almost immediately went out to Chicago for the uh, drum fantasy camp where I was playing with Dennis Chambers and Chad Wackerman and Gergo Borlai and Steve Smith. So that was a slightly intense week, shall we say. Uh, and then that was – I got back from that a week before we left for the wedding in August. So then we left – uh, left for the wedding that was a week then we had a honeymoon for two weeks we came home from the honeymoon as you can imagine kind of toasted and exhausted and a week i think it was a week later we found a new house and we so we moved house like we found a place a week in and i think we moved like three weeks after we got back from the honeymoon so again another highly stressful time as i'm sure most people listening have had the uh, <laughs> had the opportunity or the misfortune to have to move house a bunch of times. Uh, it's not a lot of fun. And by that time, we're two people and two pets, uh, not quite a family yet, but we'd accumulated a lot of stuff. Can you imagine two bass players? Just our instruments alone was like five or six trips in two cars. It was insane. Chelsea's two uprights, dozens of basses, guitars, keyboards, my road. I mean, just insane amount of stuff. Um, to move house then all the like the actual stuff the everyday domestic stuff anyway that was crazy that was October then Chelsea went on the road did Chelsea go on the road Chelsea didn't go on the road Chelsea maybe Chelsea went on the road I can't honestly can't remember I do remember getting to um, getting to winter time and being like you know what I want to do something different and I'd gone snowboarding for the first time earlier in 2019 that probably hadn't helped my herniated disc either. But um, I was like, man, it was getting towards winter. We had a couple of good snowfalls. So I remember getting a couple of days to go up and go snowboarding, which was super fun. Maybe Chelsea was on the road. I got to check that. Um, uh, maybe she was, yeah. Anyway, before we knew it, like I was back on the road. February of um, – like January was NAM, so that was all stressful, 2020. February – I was already back on the road, went up to Canada to do to play with Vital Information and also Benny Grab at the Drumio Festival, and then almost immediately left for Europe, which we all know how that worked out. So by March 12th, we were bailing on Bob's tour, having been out for a couple of weeks, heading back to the States, and then lockdown started, I think, the 14th of March. So what a sequence of events, which you know, not, not unique to me, I'm sure, there were people out there listening that had crazy 2019s, didn't get to do all the healthy stuff they wanted to do. And then we were all in the same boat. 
And I don't know about you, but I wasn't like immediately massively motivated to just be like, oh, I'm going to get fucking yoked. I'm at home. I've got all this time in the world. Like the first thing I wanted to do was not like, you know, I did build a gym like pretty early on. I did build a pretty nice gym down here, just outside the studio downstairs. And, you know, got a, a, a frame, what do you call it? Power cage so for, for lifting, for lifting weights and squatting and stuff pull-up bars, I got a stationary bike, I got a bunch of kettlebells and Olympic bar, all kinds of stuff, like a proper, you know, a, a place where I could get decent workouts in, but I just wasn't motivated. I just, like, headed over this, this the, the top of the hill and was on, like, a motivational decline. And I think also was really... I just didn't, none of us, of course, knew what was going to happen. Like all the touring got canceled. Sorry, I just got to remember to take my second super EPA here. See, this is what happens during the day when you're, if you're on it, and I'm trying to be on it, keeping the supplement train going and some more creatine. Um, that'll work. So, yeah, I, I think we were all um, wondering, like, what is going to happen here? Like, what is going on? We were so, I, I, I've been looking back over episodes of the podcast to clip things out and post them to YouTube. You've probably seen some of those clips showing up. And I looked at uh, an Adam Neely interview. I interviewed Adam on the channel way back then, I think March or April, like right then in the beginning of the pandemic. And we were already talking about, yeah, well, you know, in August, we'll be back at it and everything. August 2020. Could you imagine? August of 2020. When was the first time I went on the road? Again, was like this year. Was that the first time? I think it was a full two years, I think. And whatever it was, it was it was not August of 2020. So I think I was still trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. I was like Twitch streaming. I was doing all these other things, like trying to figure it out and working out and staying healthy and, you know, being disciplined was not super high on that list of priorities. So that taught me a lot. That showed me that, wow, like the mental side of things plays a huge part in how motivated you are to stay healthy and to eat clean and to exercise on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about becoming uh, some sort of Olympic swimmer level athletic, um, you know, specimen, but, you know, walking a bunch every day is not a bad start. That's what actually what I've been trying to do, even though I've fallen way off the wagon eaten way too much bullshit the last few weeks. I gave myself that like holiday excuse, like, all right, I'm going to get mince pies. I'm going to get the Terry's chocolate orange. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat, I'm going to just eat all this crap. And oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine here. Oh, it's a bottle of champagne. Great. We'll drink that. And oh, I'm, I'm a real big fan of Aperol spritz. Let's get a bit of, bottle of Aperol in. I mean, it was just like for a month here, actually more than that, about six weeks from my birthday kind of fell off the wagon. That's November 19th. So from there, there on, that was like the first time Chelsea and I got to spend time to get, literally the first time since our daughter was born that we got to spend two hours together on a date. And Chelsea took me out to dinner. We were up in uh, Vancouver and she took me for this beautiful meal. And that was it. We had friends up there and they took, took our daughter for the two hours and like strolled around Vancouver with her while we went out for this birthday meal. And yeah, it was just like, whoa. Yeah, I remember having a life and being human and uh, – not being disciplined, I had some wine, had this steak, and we had dessert. I mean, it was great. It was, it was just fun, and sometimes that really is fun. And then I just said to myself, "All right, fuck it. I'm going to be a little bit looser and less strict, and I'm just going to eat whatever and live it up for six weeks until the holidays." And then, literally today, I'm recording this uh, January first, 
by the way, even though it's coming out on Monday the 2nd, um, literally today, hit the reset button. Get back on the wagon and cut out all the stuff that is fun in the moment. Like, that's the thing. Like Jeff said, everyone's different. You have to know yourself. That's really important. Like, what personality are you and how likely are you to be effective positively, be affected positively by making a massive change rather than an incremental one? So I know myself. I know I can make that change. I know if I say, okay, I'm not going to drink alcohol for a year, I won't drink alcohol for a year. If I'm not going to have like processed sugar or processed foods for the most part, it's almost impossible, especially in the US, but I know I can do it. I know I'm that kind of personality type. Um, But like Jeff said, it's important to know that about yourself. And if you're not that kind of person and it will have adverse effects, I think it's good good to know that and maybe do it more incrementally. But even through, like what I was trying to get to there, even through that like six week period since my birthday, I was super conscious, even though I wasn't like training hard, I wasn't lifting weights. I haven't played tennis since September. Like it's like my caloric output has been way down. I was still trying to hit a minimum of 10,000 steps a day. I know that's like maybe an arbitrary number. There's some research I've been reading to that, that suggests like 8,000 is a, there are some huge benefits to that, uh, especially battling obesity. I've heard some really cool interviews and read some studies about that. Again, go check that shit out for yourself. Uh, this is just information I'm hearing that I kind of like the sound of. And then of course, I'm trying it out for myself. Like the 10,000 steps definitely helped me. Um, that really was like, oh, I see uh, uh, an improvement in my resting heart rate. That's a big one for me. I'm not a massive like, you know, tracking the the heart rate through workouts. I don't wear a heart rate monitor, like a super high end one around the chest. I do have the Apple watch. Um, a bit, a big one for me, an indicator of heart health, it would be the resting pulse rate. Um, something that for me is normally around the mid 40s. So I know I'm in great shape if I'm sort of mid 40s to 50, something like that. Typically, it will be around 46, 47. Um, I can track, I can look at the, the, the data from the Apple Watch and see where it spikes to like 60 or 62 for a couple of days. And I'd be like, oh, those were the two days I was sick, for instance. And it's, for me, I can really tell a lot from that, from that one metric. Um, and that's something I'll look at throughout the day. And if it's, if it's kind of spiking a little higher than, uh, the normal, I'll, that will motivate me to take some time and actually relax, maybe meditate a little bit bring everything kind of centered and really find out what the resting pulse rate is rather than being kind of frenetic and like running around and doing stuff all the time. It's a really good motivator to, to take some time and be like, okay, I need 10 minutes here just to shut everything out and, uh, and take some time for myself. So that's one metric I pay attention to the, the caloric thing, the, the calories burned on the Apple watch. I think, from what I can tell, from what I've heard from some experts and some scientists and um, in that field, the calorie count on these devices and on machines in that you see in the gym is really not that accurate at all. Um, I think what it is, though, is kind of accurate to compare it with itself. So if I know I do this run, that it's this far, and I know that I'm exerting myself pretty similarly each time I do it, and this is the, the calorie burn that my watch tells me, 
I, I can see consistency in that. So it might not be accurate to the amount of calories I'm actually burning, but it is cons- kind of consistent with itself. So as long as I take a, a, a big sample size of some weeks of doing it and understand what kind of uh, calorie burns I'm hitting, I can I can see if there's like something really wrong, basically. If everything looks kind of cool and normal, that's great. I know I'm sort of in the right zone. And if there's something really wrong, if my calorie burn is like super low for some reason, I'd be like, okay, so th- did I really do the right intensity on the right workout at the right time there's the little piece of feedback i can use that i i find useful again everyone is different um i know some people who never look at their heart rate who never check caloric uh burn or you know people who don't weigh their food and people who are not crazy about caloric intake and being super scientific about it i I can't say i am i don't weigh out like cups of broccoli before i cook them or specific amounts of chicken i know roughly having done this for some years now what i need and what is what and how many calories and grams of protein etc are in each kind of food group that i eat um i didn't talk too much about in the blog post yesterday i didn't talk too much about the the, the, the real specifics of my diet um it's nothing crazy like i try and do the eat the rainbow thing as much as possible just getting as much natural um color variation in my food so everything from like well you know just color variation in the food yellows and greens and reds and uh you you know what you know what it is all through whites and, and dark stuff and you know from blackberries to white rice and from red bell peppers or tomatoes to cucumbers and broccoli for instance so i like to have some variation in that you know i'm pretty into fruit and i get obviously fiber like high fiber diet as high fiber as possible i'm not sure exactly how many grams of fiber i'm getting a day um if i had to guess i would say it was it was over 30 grams the last time i checked and the last time i looked at what i was eating you know apples and just high fiber foods um that was about what it was and everything is good you know uh bowel movements are good um general health and well-being is uh is is you know is on the rise even though i have been eating some crap the last few weeks there is definitely still a foundation level of basic nutrition that i have been keeping to i've been keeping up with my supplements i do keep up with fruits and vegetables i've just been piling on way too much sugary crap on top of that which is not great for weight it's not great for athleticism or or anything actually for sleep, especially if I do it late, you know, have a margarita that's full of sugar at like 11 o'clock at night and then try and go to bed. It's not a great idea. So I have been guilty of that in the, in recent weeks, but now no more. Um, I'm not going to say it's like zero this or zero that I'm going to, because that will inevitably be adjusted at some point, but the, the right, the right now, the initial phase of this new change to start the year out and it's not a new year's resolution it's just okay it is time to really think about this stuff and it's not for this year it's for 20 30 40 years from now and it's something i should be making good habits uh, for as soon as possible um, in terms of longevity and good health in later life um, so yeah right now it is no alcohol it is no sugar and no sugar i mean no processed sugar of course i'm eating fruit and there is fruit sugar contained in that um but it's yeah as as little processed food as possible and there you go there's another thing right processed food i mean you you eat a steak could be organic but yeah it's been cut off the 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 cow so there's some processing involved there like there is a there's a 
it's a sliding scale of what you consider processed and what you don't. I mean, recently I saw this thing where, uh, some the the I don't want to offend anyone here. It's just something I learned recently. I'm not saying some vegans, uh, but some vegans uh, consider uh, what was one of the things that was shocking. Avocado. Some vegans consider avocado not to be vegan because of something about the in the production of avocados they use bees. They like drive these bees across across the country to use them in. Is it in the pollination or something? I don't actually know. But there was some uh, some component of the production of avocados where, that they use bees. So vegans don't consider that to be truly vegan um, because it's using an animal in its production. I, that that to me is like, wow, that's heavy commitment. I really hope it's not the kind of vegan who's like wearing a pair of leather shoes or something. Or it's like an ethical vegan who's like got a leather jacket on or something like that. I don't know. Or drives a car with leather interior. So, you know, it always makes me laugh. Of course, there are people who are like, no, actually, I, these are my principles. I stand by them and I'm very strict within the framework of that. And great, they know all about it. It's the clowns that like do it just to do it or, or do it to pose or something and they don't quite get it. And maybe people like, I was unaware that, that an avocado is potentially not strictly vegan until very recently, like till two days ago, I saw something on that. I was like, gotta be shitting me. Um, I personally hate avocados. I wish I didn't. Avocado, great source of a whole bunch of nutrients, and I wish I could eat them like an apple, but I'm not a fan. And if you, if anybody's listening who lives in California or has been to California, like everything comes with avocado here. Your hipsters in Silver Lake with your fucking avocado toast and every piece of sushi, like white girl sushi, has avocado in it somehow. And Oh, my God. It's just avocado and everything. It's, it's overkill. Um, anyway. Enough of that. Um, we're getting way up there. I knew this was going to be a longer one, especially with the phone call. Um, really happy to have Jeff on the podcast and hear from a licensed, licensed professional. It's always nice to get a professional opinion, um, especially as he disagreed with one of the things I was thinking of doing. That's, I've got to think about that now. I've got to think about that that um, that eating window. And I, I, I man, I. What I should, I, what I should have asked him, I didn't, I should have had a list of questions and a list of topics to talk to him about. What I wanted to ask him about was, um, the, the fact that, yeah, of course I agree with him and I do that. It's like the late evening eating thing, like getting that down to like seven, maybe no later than eight o'clock, no later than seven or eight o'clock eating in the evening. And of course the adjustment of that, like I talked about the 16, eight thing and having an eight hour window where I eat, perhaps missing breakfast and fasting in the morning to have lunch after the first workout and then dinner later, maybe a snack in between. That was my initial plan. Maybe I've got to rethink that. Now I've spoken to Jeff. But of course, the adjustments have to come all the time because especially as a parent, that's going to be, you know, kicked into oblivion. The the, the first moment you think you've got in a groove and the, my daughter's going to say, Mm-mm, I'm up way earlier than you thought or my nap time is now not when you want to work out or, you know, there, there are going to be a ton of variables in that. So, of course, that is not something I can stick to strictly. And when I get to two a days, when I add tennis into the mix and I'm dropping her at daycare potentially in the morning and getting on a tennis course by 9.30, I'm definitely going to need fuel earlier in the day than noon, for instance. I'm definitely going to need something to get me through a 60 to 90 minute tennis workout once I start adding that, uh, especially as I plan for that to then be two a days, maybe three days a week. So three days a week, I'll do two workouts a day, one tennis session in the morning, followed by a gym session somewhere in the late, late morning uh, or before lunch at least. So 
adjustments will be made. That's not something I'll be able to stick strictly to. Again, on the road as well, like Jeff said, he was helping someone who is in a large band playing arenas, definitely an earlier schedule than playing club gigs, which often start when an arena gig is ending. Um, so that is a little bit more of a challenge. I definitely faced that on the recent long tour in Europe with Bob Reynolds for three weeks and not even that long, really, but it felt like three months. And the amount of travel and early starts and weird off days in strange places where we got screwed over because it was pissing with rain and couldn't really get out and just weird you know just never managed to get in a groove on that and um that was that was really tough it would have been really tough to stick to that eight hour um eating window for sure especially when you're in a foreign country you don't know the lay of the land as much although uh, i'm at my age i do kind of have the foreign supermarket thing down i can go and get pretty decent food um but then you run into things like you're somewhere on a Sunday and like Germany closes down on a Sunday. You can't get all the things you want or you're in Spain and you need to eat in the middle of the day. But it's siesta time and half the half of Spain is closed. 90% of Spain is closed. Like there are all of those variables when you are not surrounded by your 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 comfort zone of being at home. So listen, I've probably talked way too long on this, uh, but I want to help start off your year or just your journey, regardless of what day of the year it is, or regardless of where you are at in your life. You know, I'm here at 44, middle-aged, and I'm thinking about my 70s and my 80s, maybe even my 90s if I get lucky. Um, if you are either in the same place, or it doesn't matter where you are, actually. I think what I said before about just creating good habits is probably a great place to start. It doesn't have to be extreme. That's why I wanted to make it very clear, like, don't use me as as the uh, as the example for yourself unless you have that type of uh, mentality where you can just flip a switch and and make it make a change that, that sticks immediately um don't yeah don't if, if that's not the case don't use me as the example but i will uh, i will be here and i will be around to to take feedback of course comment below the youtube video and let me know where you're at what you might want to get into um and I can't offer you guidance or professional opinion because I'm not a professional at it, but I will definitely offer you encouragement and uh, applaud anyone making the effort to create great habits and lead a healthier life because um, I think ultimately it will lead to better mental health. It will lead to an enhanced ability to be better at what you do. If that's a musician, I'm sure there are a lot of bass players and musicians listening to this. <coughs> that will all be that will all have a positive effect on uh, on the rest of your life. So I'm a big fan of it. I'm happy to share my recent downs and hopefully uh, more positive ups in in the health department. And um, and I'll keep checking in, let you know how it's going, and uh, letting you know that I'm not slacking off. And um, if you're following along and watching on the video, you'll probably notice some changes. Some, uh, you know, you always see the weight in the face and the sleep in the bags under the eyes. I doubt you'll see the skin improvement. I'm going to try and get some more direct sunlight and get out there in the world. But all of those things will, will happen. They happened for me in a big way back in 2013, 14, 15. I was able to maintain it for a while. And I look forward to being able to sort of kickstart that process again right now and maintain it moving forward while still being productive and, and making art and staying in touch with all of you friends around the world so that's it i'll uh speak to you again on the next episode